Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. It's time for True American Heroes for the Record with Jack Rutland. Another exclusive on Super Talk Mississippi 102.1 FM. Many of our heroes have taken their stories with them to the grave. But this show is about the stories and personal experiences of these veterans. Good morning. I'm honored to have with us this morning Mr. Herbert Sable, who is no stranger to Lincoln County and, and South Mississippi. Uh, many, many years a school teacher uh, and many years a pastor in this area. So there's a lot of folks in our southwest Mississippi audience that will know Mr. Herbert Sable. Mr. Herbert, it's an honor to have you with us this morning in the studio. Thank you. Well, we, I, we've had you before. You came on and did a really neat program. You served in World War II. You're uh, 92 years young and still kicking, maybe not as high, but still moving really good. And uh, been a longtime friend of, of myself and, and, uh, and my family. But, but we had a really good interview the first time you came in and did a program for us. Uh, your service to the United States through the Navy. You served uh, on an LST in the Pacific uh, were involved in some of the, the major uh, island invasions, uh, I believe Guam and, and uh, Iwo Jima, uh, Saipan, uh, to mention just a few of, uh, of the invasions that you and your ship and crew were involved in. It was really interesting. I, I still remember parts of things that you shared about being involved. Uh, your ship, the LST, had a specific uh, designation. It, it uh, was uh, just a big truck, uh, but it could go anywhere the Navy wanted you to go. And uh, you were involved in those invasions, and, uh, and, and that was pretty much our first show was what you did during World War II. But you and I, in, in later conversations, I realized there was a, another segment to this story of your involvement in service about an, a, an aspect of World War II, or actually post-World War II, that I was not aware of. And that's what a lot of people may not be aware of in their history. Uh, when you start thinking about what was taking place in China during World War II, as the Japanese had in been uh, invaded China, and then they were driven, at the, as the war was drawn to a close, they were driven out of China. But the former premier or leader of China, General Chiang Kai-shek, Generalissimo Chiang Kai-shek, uh, lost control of China, and Mao Zedong, the communist, gradually became more and more powerful. And these three entities, the United States, General Chiang Kai-shek, and Mao Zedong and their respective armies kind of got Herbert Sable and his LST caught up in the middle of some things going on that a lot of people may not know about. So I thought it'd be really interesting to have you in today to talk about that. So why don't you take us to the end of the war, Mr. Herbert, and kind of tell us how these things progressed. We were at Okinawa, and the war in, uh, we were transporting materials and ammunition back and forth between uh, Iwo Jima and Okinawa, and we were at Iwo Jima when the war ended, the Japanese surrendered. We went back to Okinawa, 
And from Okinawa, they sent us to Japan. And uh, we spent one night in Seisibo Harbor in South Japan, and uh, a very beautiful harbor. But the next morning, we were ordered to China. And uh, we set sail to Hong Kong. But Hong Kong was not the basis of General Chiang Kai-shek's operation, so we had to stay one night there, and then we uh, turned and came back to Shanghai. Now, many people think that Shanghai is on the Yangtze River, but it's not. It's on the Wangpu River. (laughs) That's a little tributary of the Yangtze. And so we went up and docked at uh, the Shanghai Dock, and that was our base of operation for uh, moving equipment, personnel, and supplies for General Chiang Kai-shek. He didn't have any way of, of moving that from uh, Shanghai up to Tencent, where was the fr- front lines were. The front lines were, the war lines were at uh, Tencent. So what we did, we transported from Shanghai down the Wangpu, down the Yangtze, into the China Sea, and went between Taiwan and uh, China up to Tencent and carried all of these things and put them out on the front lines. Okay, so who was who was General Chiang Kai-shek fighting at this time? Who was the conflict between his army? He was fighting Mao Zedong. So they all they had open conflict. That's true. The That's former, true. the former leader or whatever his title mm-hmm. was, Chiang Kai-shek mm-hmm. of China. Here is now the communist leader Mao Zedong, who is yeah. trying to take control of China right here at the end of World War II. So General Chiang Kai-shek goes to the United States or the Allies and asks for some help. Apparently, or you guys wouldn't have been there. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was a it was an open war. Uh, mm. there, there was a fighting. So it was a uh, Chinese civil war almost right. right here at the end of World War II. Yes, it was a civil war, and uh, we were wrapped up in the middle of it. We uh, did this for General Chiang Kai-shek hmm. and uh, transported personnel and, like I said, an equipment, ammunition, and what have you that they needed on the front lines, and we put it out on the front lines at Tencent. Then we turned around and came back to Shanghai to pick up another load. Okay, when you say personnel, what kind of personnel? You weren't transporting American troops. You were transporting those Chinese troops. We were transporting Chinese people. Who were loyal to General Chiang Kai-shek. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Okay. Right, that's right. That's right. Our base of operation in Shanghai was uh, quite a unique place in uh, the main street in Shanghai was uh, Nanking Road, and it it uh, came from our dock all the way up through Shanghai, and guess what? The USO was on the other end of so it. <laughs> now, the USO, for those who don't know, yeah. it was a place where you guys could go get coffee and uh, donuts, and it was kind of like an open house kind of thing. Made the best home hamburgers home. I had eaten in yeah, a long time. There you time. go. There yeah. you go. Uh-huh. Uh, that's really interesting, though, because, you know, here you are, an American sailor, an American ship, and you're transporting Chinese soldiers up into a battle zone. 
putting yourself in harm's way. Your whole crew was in harm's way. I don't know how close you actually were to the fighting, but you're transporting Chinese troops to fight Chinese troops, uh, and this is after World War II is over. Yeah, all kinds of Chinese personnel we, we transported. And uh, uh, the worst part of transporting the Chinese personnel was feeding them. Now, our tank deck was as big as a basketball court. Okay. And they set up, uh, we set up pots for them to cook in because they, uh, their main dish was uh, dried fish and rice. And let me tell you something, that uh, dried fish and rice uh, had a very pungent odor to it when, mm. we, uh, when we thought about it. <laughs> so we turned our exhaust fans, which we had uh, eight big exhaust fans on the top of the deck right. that would pull all that stuff out, and we did that. But the thing about it was this, that the being on the front lines was not uh, the only danger that we faced. The most dangerous thing that we faced was mines in uh, the street. Uh, the, the communists uh, mined uh, the Yellow Sea there. We, on some occasions, we exploded mines with gunfire, but we had to find them. We had to look at them and see them and avoid them because they could uh, uh, sink so you this right meant, quick. Sure, and you, so this meant you didn't travel at night. You probably all could only move during the daytime. No, we only moved in the daytime. So you could see yeah. these mines. Mm-hmm. And a mine is just a huge explosive device that stays in, usually in one place, and sometimes they're above the water line, and then sometimes they're below the water line. Uh, these were, they were above and below because when the waves would come along, it would make them see go them. under. But... Um, the thing about the mine was somebody said, well, our ship was equipped with Loran and sonar gear. Right. Uh, we were one of the few LSTs that had that, and we were always uh, one of the lead ships in convoys because, because had we equipment. had the Loran gear. Mm-hmm. Without the Loran gear, look, folks don't know it, but without Loran gear, you can get lost in the Pacific right quick. <laughs> you say, yeah, but you are on a course. But the course does not take you a lot of times where you want to go because of sea currents and wind. Yep. 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 So Loran gear uh, helps you. Uh, they they spot Loran stations here and there, and they you can pinpoint right where you are. And we had that. It's amazing. I mean, I've I've studied history and and World War II and things, and I I don't know that I ever realized that American sailors or American personnel were actually in harm's way from the communist Chinese army at at the end of World War II. This is something that's really interesting. Well, we're right here at the end of our first segment. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right right back with Mr. Herbert Sable. Welcome back. Uh, as I said, I'm honored to have with, uh, with us as a guest today, Mr. Herbert Sable, longtime resident of this part of the state, and, and many, many people have uh, been touched by his life, and just a good friend uh, of mine. And uh, we've just been talking about an unusual event that many historians, many military people, uh, military historians may not be aware of, and that's uh, the fact that he was assigned to the nationalist Chinese army right at the end of the war, right after the war had ended. And uh, in their conflict with the Red Chinese Army, led by General Mayo Tung. 
so, Mr. Herbert, we were talking a little bit about that, but I thought about something you had told me earlier about how you ran into someone uh, on Okinawa right after the invasion. And, uh, I mean, here you guys, you're, you're from what little town in Mississippi? I was from Delta City. Delta City, okay. And here you are on the other side of the world with millions of others of, of American sailors and soldiers and Marines, and you ran into somebody right there on the beach in Okinawa. Tell us that little story real quick. My brother, my oldest brother was a pastor before he was called into service, and he was a chaplain in the Air Force. And they had t- taken over the airfield in Okinawa, and so he had set up a, a chapel in a bombed-out building there. And he and a friend of his from Delta City, uh, who was also a captain of uh, of uh, an aircraft group, they came together to my ship, which was uh, in Buckner Bay, <laughs> which is the big bay that uh, uh, is on Okinawa. And uh, we they came aboard, and I didn't know that they were there until mm. they, they paged me on the intercom. And, and so they ate uh, evening chow with me, and... Uh, so how'd they find out you were there? Your ship was there. They just but somebody accidentally told them, or they knew you were in the area. No, they they, uh, they uh, central intelligence had okay. had had the ship uh, in uh, in its uh, uh, repertoire and so okay. forth and so. And he he knew it was there, and uh, but I didn't know he was there until <laughs> then. <laughs> I, so, that's just amazing that you guys cross paths. In the middle of the of the Pacific Ocean, on a, on an island that had just just been taken back by the Allies and the Americans, right. and you there running into your brother, I bet that was quite a little homecoming. It was, but we didn't have much time to do it. We ate chow, and then the loudspeaker said, "All visitors go ashore. Typhoon coming." Uh oh. So we were supposed to get underway and go to sea. We had already been through four of those things. Goodness. And uh, we were going to sea, and a big army barge, a metal army barge about 600 feet long, what got loose, and when we were going out of Buckner Bay, it hit us in the side and knocked four holes in our water line. Whoa. So we had to shore that up, and the harbor master says, you will stay in Buckner Bay. You will not go outside. Too risky. So we stayed there. I stayed on the main engine throttle for from 10 o'clock that night until 10.30 the next morning. It was all we could do to, uh, to stay with our anchor. Mm. You see, we had two anchors. The LST mm-hmm. has two anchors. We had a 3,000-pound anchor on the bow with a three-inch chain holding it. We lost it. It snapped the chain. Goodness. We dropped the 4,000-pound anchor from the stern, and that's the rear of the ship, and uh, the uh, it, it had a, a three-inch steel cable holding it. Goodness. So we uh, revved the engines uh with emergency speed forward and backwards. The only time I ever saw the the big clutches on those engines smoke, but they smoked a little bit. And Goodness. we stayed with that uh, anchor. We were one of the two ships 
out of 120 ships and boats that stayed afloat. The rest of them were put on the rocks. Goodness gracious. Incredible. All right, let's go back to, uh, let's go back to China. We were talking during, the, talking during the break. It was really interesting. Um, you know, you were transporting not only military personnel, were you transporting civilians too? Yeah. So you were, I guess, taking them out of the war zone. Well, no, well, we were, we were, the civilians were supportive people. Oh, support personnel. Okay. See, we, we didn't bring any uh, back. Okay. Uh, okay. We took them from Shanghai up and mm-hmm. put them out up there so they could uh, try you, to block. This the, assignment lasted five months. Right. Was that a pretty constant back and forth between these two points? Intermittently. Uh, sure. We, we did it according to uh, what the need was for, from General Shanghai's check. We, we didn't, uh, uh, we were under his command, and so when he needed us, we were there. Otherwise, we stayed in place. I, that's really interesting. I just did not know this. I did not realize that, that at the end, after the war was over, that uh, American personnel were assigned to uh, another country's uh, army for assistance. It, it happened at other times. I know that. But here you are assigned to General Chiang Kai-shek and his army to help his troops uh, and his personnel moved back and forth and while they were fighting uh, General Mayo Saitong and the communists. There were only 125 men on my ship, so that's all that I know of that were assigned. You didn't but, see any other ships. Yours was no, the only ship that was, was involved no that you know of. No other ship assigned, no, no wow. nothing. Wow. Uh, we were the only ones that I know of. I think I, I, think I would know of of them if they were assigned because Shanghai was the base of operation. You didn't you weren't involved at all in in, in evacuating General Shanghai Chek back to Formosa or Taiwan, were you? No, we left before then. Okay. Uh, okay. We didn't we didn't uh, we weren't there when he moved to Formosa or to uh, yeah, Taiwan. Now you were telling me how the Chinese people that you were in contact with there at your at, at General Chiang Kai Shek's at the city, how they were, how they looked up to you guys, what they, how they treated you. What tell us a little bit about how those those Chinese felt about Americans? Well, they were uh, they were very very friendly with us, and and generally uh, in many places when they went in, American personnel went in, they had opposition, but we had no opposition whatsoever. Hmm. Everything was uh, friendly. Everything was helpful, and we were, they were trying to do the things that needed to be done in order for us to do what we needed to do. We were talking during the break about the distance between these two points that your ship was transporting equipment and then coming back and forth. You, the biggest danger was the mines, and you guys used out lookouts uh, probably at the bow to, to, to try to see the mines, and oh, yeah. you had the equipment too. Now, uh, you would have to understand the configuration of the ship in order to see uh, what we had. We had uh, a bridge that went up eight feet and out to the side of the ship. We had 20-millimeter gun mounts on the edge of that, and we had lookouts in those. We had also, we had uh, 40-millimeters at the bow of the ship, and we had lookouts up there. 
So we had lookouts, or we had at least five people looking at all times. They called them submarine out uh, lookouts, but uh, they these were looking for mines. And you were you were of course uh, worked in the engine room. You were one of the guys that was most important because without the engines running, there was no electricity, there was no lights, there was you know the ship was dead in the water, which is not a good thing in any kind of conflict if the ship's <laughs> not moving. You're That's sitting right. duck. But right. uh, and you had a pretty big responsibility. You're one of those guys that I've seen pictures of in the past that had grease from head to toe all the time. Is that right, or were you more clean than some of the pictures I've seen? <laughs> I question some of those pictures. <laughs> oh me! So you were you were though you were down in the in the hull of the ship where the where the engine room. Was. I was down in the very bottom of the ship. Hmm. The ship had uh, five decks. And uh, I was down in the bottom. Not only was I in charge uh, of the generator room, which had three generators, mm. big generators, we could uh, generate enough electricity to, to run this city uh, and <laughs> don't, not bother with it. We could generate 440 volts of, of power, just any number of amps. And uh, we had three GBDH, that's eight-cylinder generators. Then we had a, an emergency fire pump. Fire was one of the things you didn't want to have on that ship. And we had a Hercules six-cylinder engine mm. for a fire pump, and I was in charge of that to make sure it would crank and run and everything. And we had uh, uh, two V12 General Motors uh, diesels powering the ship and we took care of those and uh, okay so you had you had a lot of responsibility but this is this is uh this is the end of the war uh after this assignment you uh you were the war was over and you were shortly thereafter you were discharged and you told me a good while back when we did our other interview a story about your coming home Uh, that's one of the neatest stories that any of my veterans that I've interviewed over the last several years have shared. Tell us about that last little bus ride. You were discharged from the Navy, and there you were coming home. Tell us how those last few hours were as you got back to Mississippi and well, Delta City, downtown Delta City. Lead up to that, it took us 32 days to come from China to Hawaii. <laughs> but when we got to Hawaii and started and came to uh, San Diego, it didn't take us long Good, because we could come on. And we put our ship in mothball fleets at Seattle, Washington, and Puget Sound. They put us on the train, sent us to Chicago. It took us four days to go from uh, <laughs> uh, Seattle to Chicago. They put us on every siding that uh, and when a train came by, we got on the siding. When we got to the central station in uh, Chicago went to the USO and took a bath. The water was black. <laughs> so we got our bath and then we went to Grand Central Station and I caught the Panama Limited to mm. Memphis. Mm. And uh, boy, it didn't take us but a few hours to come. And went to uh, the naval base there north of Memphis and was in discharged and got on a Greyhound bus and came to Mississippi, broke down at Tunica. So I told him, I said, 
I worked on this engine all all my uh, time in the service. I said, I can fix that thing. He said, nope, got to bring a new bus, another bus in. So he brought another bus in. We went to Hollandale, Mississippi. I got off the bus with a sea bag. Wasn't a soul in town. Not one. Only thing was there was a Dominica chicken picking up trash. <laughs> I said, my Lord, Lord. It, this sea bag's going to get awfully heavy before I get to 12 miles to Delta City. So I just happened to think, I said, Ray Sandiford, a friend of mine, lives over the other side of town. I said, I'm just going to walk over there and see if he'll carry me home. So I went over there and I said, knocked on the door, and he almost fell out of the uh, <laughs> doorway when he saw me. Sure. Ray, I said, how you doing? He said, man, how you doing? I said, well, I just got in, and uh, nobody in town. I said, uh, could I hire you to take me out to Delta City? He said, I'll take you, but you're not hiring me. So we, he said, come on. We got in the car and came on. He says, you want to go home or to the church? I said, well, it's almost prayer meeting time. I said, they'll probably be at the church. So I said, just take me to church, and if the car's there, I'll get out there. So he took me to the church, and uh, sure enough, there's a car was there and everything. I got my sea bag and thanked him. I said, I'll be glad to pay you. He said, uh-uh, 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 don't even mention that. <laughs> so I went in the front door of the church, and the church had a little foyer there. Yeah. I put my sea bag <clears throat> down in the foyer, walked through the swinging doors, and uh, the preacher was... Uh, preaching, and when I walked through the swinging doors, he hushed. <laughs> I walked on up and sat down by my mother, and she just banged me on the knees and she couldn't say a word. And uh, the, the pastor said, oh, we just welcome you home. And so that was my homecoming, a prayer meeting. Oh, man, was what a great story. Mr. Herbert, this has been fantastic having you come in here and share with us these additional experiences after your service in World War II, actually being assigned to uh, the Chinese Nationalist Army for that five-month period. Absolutely interesting history. And let me say once again, I've said it to you before, but thank you, sir, for your service to our country in World War II. You're one of our honored veterans, as they all are, and uh, we thank you for what you did and your sacrifices and uh, putting your life in harm's way. Uh, but God brought you home and, and, and had that special homecoming for you there in that little church up in Delta City. So uh, thank you for coming in, Mr. Herbert, and sharing with us today. You're quite welcome. And uh, it's been a long, long time since this has happened. It's been between 70 yeah. and 80 years. Yeah. You remember it pretty good, though. Well, uh, the Lord's been good to me. <laughs> He's no allowed me to remember a lot of things. And a lot of things I remember that I don't need to. Yeah. <laughs> Again, thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Herbert Sable, uh, World War II Navy veteran, and uh, did some a service for the Chinese Army as well. Thank you, my friend. You're welcome. You are welcome. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.